Good morning, everyone. Morning. So, as I was preparing for today, I was just walking down the aisle, and and I walked by Emily, and she was saying how, oh, you look have like Korean pop star today. I'm like, well, if by this standard I'm a Korean star, then I don't think I'll get very far with this look and like the space and all that, right? But 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 you realize that in today's world. Packaging means so much in how we engage in business and social life and all that. Where if you dress nice and you look good and you present yourself well, you'll get a lot further than if you are really sloppy and all that, right? So that said, today I don't like to be labeled as the social media preacher guy, but today is another sermon about social media, unfortunately. And if you look at the screen back here.、Um, This is also another really popular social media app that young people use nowadays, and and it actually has a logo that looks like this. And for those who don't know, this is called Instagram. So, what Instagram is is that people would take pictures, and they would take pictures that they try to look really, really beautiful or. Of themselves, or of of the food they eat, or yes, like they take pictures of food and they post it, and they make it really artsy and put a really cool note on it, and or or even like landscape sceneries, and 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 so they would post it on on their own accounts. And what happened is they would wait in front of the screen, and they wait for people to like their photos, and and and. How good a photo is depends on how many of strangers and friends liking a photo or even commenting on it. And there was one time I was talking to a friend; he was so absorbed with it, he actually count how many followers he has on his account. And when it goes down, he's like, "Oh, I, I just lost follower. What should I do? Should I post something else and make it look nicer and all that?" So, to some people, having The number of likes and followers on Instagram is actually a big deal, and even to a point where there is an epidemic going on, and unfortunately, husbands are suffering from this. And there is actually a documentary known as Instagram Husband, and Marco will play it for us. Jeff, and I'm an Instagram husband. I find every cute girl on Instagram is a guy like me and a brick wall. My name's Trey. I'm an Instagram husband. I've had to delete all of the apps off my phone just to make more room for more photos. Hi, I'm Nate, and I'm an Instagram husband. I love my life so much. My job in pictures is to make her look good. I want you to just take a picture, like, like higher, no higher, 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 babe, higher. I'm basically a human selfie stick. Go. Last year for Christmas, I actually got her a selfie stick, and then she 
got mad at me because she thought I was just trying to get out of taking photos. Of course I'm trying to get out of taking your f***ing photo. What are you doing in here? Taking a picture of all your stuff? Yeah, this is a good moment. I support that! Oh wait, just a second. I should probably comment on this. It helps me out if I'm the first one to comment. Cute. It's become a pretty big problem. Um, we take so long to get anywhere because we're taking pictures of our feet. Oh, shoe pick, shoe pick. No, this one's better. No, no, stop, stop. Move your foot. Okay, can we hold hands? One more, one more. I like this leaf right here. Yeah, we used to eat our food. Now we just take pictures of it. No! You can't do that! God, we have to show everybody how much we enjoy our lives together. Yeah, it's really enjoyable. If you or someone you know is an Instagram husband, help is out there. Go to InstagramHusband.com and see how millions of men just like you have found hope. So you might think this is really funny and it might be a parody and all that, but this is actually real. If you go Google Instagram boyfriends, you'll see the behind the scenes of how far. I'm, I'm not, I don't want to be sexist, but then usually it's a guy taking a picture of their significant other, and they have to go out the way to take these pictures. And so if you listen to the video earlier, there was actually a line that, that, the, that the girl spoke, and it's really real, that, they need to take a picture for others to see how great of a life they're having. And that's the reality we're living in, the fact that people actually gauge their identity or even how well the life is by how others perceive them, by whatever perfect, perfect moments that, that they're living in. And, and that's what they want to be remembered by. And sometimes it actually gets really far, like, People would go so out of the way that they would take so many photos just to look nice and let others know. And there was actually a news article not too long ago about a model in Australia. Her name is uh, Asana O'Neill. And this 19-year-old model um, is not clicking. So this 19-year-old model was actually really famous because of her Instagram account and all the photos that she was taking. But one day she posted a really famous video about how Instagram or even social media has ruined her life. And so Marco will play another video for us. All this image might look like like a girl just having fun. This is like two, three hours worth of shooting on a beach. Putting social media tell anyone, everyone, still watching. I was miserable. This life of, of an effortless beauty is not effortless. My makeup was quite heavy, actually. And the lighting made me look quite tan when I actually wasn't. And the necklace, I didn't even really like that much. You know, there was probably a hundred pictures, and this was my favorite. And they edited it so it looked 
effortless. You look at this picture, you think this girl has it all together, that she's tan, she's glowing, she's beautiful. I look at this picture and this girl and think she has so much more inside of you than you're letting the world see. I see someone that wasn't happy with herself. I see someone that was scared. She was scared that people only liked her for how she looked and what she could give them. in a society that rewards this artificial perfectionism. Companies will pay me, friends will want me, people admire you when you look, when you take these images, people look up to you and admire you and want to be you and I think that's, I think that's pretty much off. So this pursuit for perfection can go so far where it becomes a virus in our lives where in this world, all people care about is to look perfect, to, to actually give this false image to the world that you have it all together so that people would like you, people would accept you, and people would actually come to you for, for whatever you, your needs and desires are. And this is quite dangerous when you think about it when our identity is built on the reputation and the worth, not from anything internal or even spiritual, but from the world outside, how they see us, how they deem us, how they actually value us. And when identity goes too far, this obsession with identity goes too far, you end up trying to be your own God. You'll end up trying to be the God over your own lives rather than trying to be someone that is built by the worth of a God who loves and cares for you. And it's actually no different when you look at the past 2,000 years. This same problem with identity and worth and reputation is an issue that humanity has always been struggling with. And even in the world, in the biblical times, you'll see the same resemblance. And as we look at the passage in Second Corinthians today, you realize that the church in Corinth is actually struggling with the same problems. As Paul is writing to the Corinthians, he mentions in the in the last 12 chapters before this really famous passage, that the people there, the church there, were struggling with their own sense of identity. They fight with themselves, they fight with social values, and they fight with their own hearts about what it means to be important or to be the top or the best. To the point where they would go and boast about themselves, about how great they are, how educated they are, how wealthy they are, how much women they slept with, in order to elevate themselves to be better than the person next to them, even when they're in the church. And so Paul was addressing to this whole issue of self, this false sense of perfection and identity. And in chapter 12, this is what he wrote. 
I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. But God knows. Was caught up to paradise. He thought in a he heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I choose to boast, I will not be a fool because I will be speaking the truth, but I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. So as a little precursor to this passage, um, he was trying to argue with these people that if you want to brag about how great of a standing you are in the church, then let me tell you, I have gone through even more amazing things where I have been a Pharisee all my life, where I kept the Jewish law better than most people in the world. And to the point where he even had a, face-to-face encounter with the risen Lord. And this is something that not a lot of people at, at the church get to do after Jesus left. And so if they were to compare, he would be much more prominent and he would appear to be more worthy than anyone else. But he chooses not to do that because he knows that's not what God cares about. That this is not the whole point of being a Christian. Rather, His identity is not about being the deity of the church, but to worship that deity, that God, that rescued him, that made him complete. And so when he's trying to deal with this struggle, and he even talked about there is actually a thorn that was put in his flesh, he said that he actually delighted in it. And it must sound really strange, but when you follow his logic, it actually makes a lot more sense afterwards. And in his, in his consolation with his thorn, he says that my grace, and this is what Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And In today's world, even now, we might think this sounds really strange, that why would we try to elevate our own weakness to be perfect? If anything, you would not want to be the last, the last one to, sc- to score something really high in your exam. Or you would not want to be the last one to align up because you know that chances are you might not get the newest phone that is out there or you might not actually have the best-looking face out of all the other people. And, and to the point where in some countries, people would actually find a norm to go through plastic surgery just to look good, just to be, even if they look the same as everybody else because they all pick the same package for plastic surgery. They don't mind because that's the norm. And to look as good as the norm is more important than to be unique but to actually look what people think as ugly. So what do we make of that then? 
why would it be made why would we be made perfect in weakness? Why would we be made perfect in weakness? And I, I, I struggle really hard trying to think how to explain that. And as I did some, like what most people do, go on Google and search for answers, and I came up with this concept called Kintsugi. It's actually a Japanese artisan skill. And I, I want to explain this, but I realize that I suck at it. So instead, I will show you another video of what exactly Kintsugi is. character. Can't we just go back to the way things used to be? It's usually a sign on the part of the writers that that character has yet to face up either to reality or to themselves. The cliche is offered up as a solution. Some trauma has passed. Parties that were enraged or hurt or mistaken want to forgive or heal or apologize. They want the bad times to give way to good times, but only on the pretense the false pretense that the bad times never happen. This is a kind of red herring of reconciliation. We know that trauma can be repressed, but it can't be erased. Lasting reconciliation is achieved by emotional self-awareness, by embracing the change agents of trauma, and how they irreversibly reorganize elements of personality, identity, and social reality. This idea, the idea of embracing our wounds, our brokenness is manifested quite poetically in the Japanese mending practice of kintsugi, literally meaning golden joinery. Kintsugi is the art of fixing broken pottery with lacquer resin dusted or mixed with powdered gold. Asian cultures have a long history in lacquerware, though it matured into a sophisticated art in the Chinese Shang Dynasty. The earliest discovered lacquered object dates to the Neolithic Hamugu culture in the 5th millennium BC. Older than the Earth itself, according to young Earth creationists. Pretty impressive. Could be alien. The various delicate arts of lacquerware ramified and expanded down millenniums and cultures. The story of Kintsugi reportedly begins in the 15th century with the Japanese military commander. The story goes that famous shogun Ashikaga Yoshimasa broke one of his prized Chinese tea balls. So he sent the item back to China for repair. What he got in return was his bowl mended with bulky and ugly metal staples. Dismayed, Yoshimasa prompted Japanese craftsmen to search for a more aesthetic means of repair. The art of Kintsugi became famous for turning broken objects into pieces more beautiful than the original product. There are even rumors of people breaking their own possessions on purpose so that they can be mended using this lovely technique. The philosophy here follows from a broader Japanese aesthetic called wabi-sabi that finds beauty not in traditional Western ideals of symmetry or geometry, but in Buddhist concepts of impermanence and imperfection. The fractures on a ceramic bowl don't represent the end of that object's life, but rather an essential moment in its history. The flaws of its shape aren't hidden from inspection, but emblazoned with golden significance. Maybe Hemingway had Kintsugi on his mind when he wrote that famous line from A Farewell to Arms. The world breaks everyone, and afterward, many are strong in the broken places. The amazing art of Kintsugi, a fading art like so many handcrafts, 
symbolizes the truth that repair requires transformation. That the pristine is less beautiful than the broken. And that the shape of us is impossible to see until it's fractured. Until a wound like a crack runs its length. So that's Kintsugi. And I think even though when the Japanese came up with this idea out of the Buddhist concept, it's really relevant to our Christian life. Where when Paul said, I'm made perfect in my weakness. I think this is essentially what happens when we come to realization that there's nothing in this world that can heal our cracks other than the wounded healer Jesus himself. That the money, the wealth, the, the fame, the beauty that we're trying to pursue to fill out these spiritual cracks in our lives cannot be fully mended. And the more you try to do that, the more it only becomes the staples that by trying to look better and better, we actually become uglier and uglier and more hollow because of these things that we try to idolize. But instead, when we try to embrace Jesus in our lives, to let Jesus heal these cracks that are in us, it will become essentially what Paul is trying to describe. That this is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. When we go through these difficult times, that's when our brokenness becomes most real in our lives. When we go through troubles and friendships, or we go through troubles in our own studies at work or even in relationships. That's when we realize that we are not perfect, that we have all these flaws in our lives. And even in my own life, I realize that it is during this time that when I try to overcome these challenges, when I don't rely and embrace God, I try to use the different staples in my lives, and it becomes even uglier. And the more ugly my life gets, the more I try to use even more staples of, of fame and, and pretense and all that in order to look good. But Jesus told us that you don't have to try so hard and pursue these things. When you rest and embrace him, he will mend you into something even more perfect and beautiful than you originally are. You will look more beautiful and perfect than you originally are. And in this passage, the word to make perfect is actually the same root as the, the term purpose and the end goal of life, the telos in our lives. And when we are trying to be made perfect by Christ, we actually draw ourselves closer to become the purpose that God has created us to be. That perfect and the perfection in us is actually not for our sake, but is for the sake of what God created us to become. And last week, Gilbert actually taught us about what humility means. And when we are trying to be humble, there needs to be a sense of obedience to obey who is the master in our lives. 
But sometimes we may wonder, but why do we need to do that? Why do we need to obey the Lord to, in order to be humble? And perhaps, as what Paul is describing here, obedience is not just a false sense or just a blind sense of following commands, but it's to put glory where glory is due. As what Paul said, for Christ's sake, that's why he delights in these things. It's not when you talk about humility, it's not about self-deprecation. It's not about putting yourself down. But it's to shift your pride from yourself to the person or the God that actually deserves this glory. And when we're able to do that, that's when our hearts get to be mended. When our hearts get mended, this broken heart of ours would become even more beautiful than it was originally before it was shattered. That this redemption of God actually makes life beautiful, more beautiful than we would ever imagine. So, brothers and sisters, maybe our life compared to the grand scheme of eternity is just a glimpse, it's an instant. So if you were to portray your life to the world around us, what would your Instagram photo be? How would you portray yourself as someone who seemingly looks perfect and chases perfection for the things that the world says is perfect? Or are you willing to embrace that weakness in your life in order to show through your cracks that beauty that God has able to redeem you from? What would be your present moment? Let us pray. Father God, we thank you because you are the Lord who loves us so much that you sent your son down to this world to endure hardship just so you can redeem us, Lord. Lord, as we delight in this brokenness of ours, may we also pray for your healing to to redeem us, to mend our brokenness so that as we embrace this brokenness in our lives, your light will show through these cracks that your spirit would, would glow through us to show this world that there is beauty, there is hope when we choose to follow you, Lord. Lord, as we show this light to the world, may we delight in you, may we delight in your gospel, and may we delight in this future that you have promised us, Lord. We thank you, and in Christ's name we pray.